This podcast is brought to you by Two More Reps Coffee Beans. Get your two more reps with this natural pre-workout. Buy your bag at twomoreps.com.au. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today, I bring you episode number 100. It's actually a milestone, 100 episodes, which is pretty damn cool. Um, I wanted just to quickly take this opportunity to thank every each and every one of you that has listened over the course of the last three years. This was started off as a pet project at the height of the pandemic, just something to uh, to work on while uh, I couldn't physically work. And um, it's turned into a, a weekly staple and uh, I've received so much positive feedback. I've had so many amazing guests. So thank you to all the guests, all the listeners. And um, today's episode is no different. I've got a fantastic guest on the show. Her name is Justine Whitchurch. She is a um, a person who has actually overcome alcoholism, full-blown alcoholism, and she goes into this story in the podcast and now helps others with uh, similar issues in terms of overcoming it and seeking exercise as a method of rehab and recovery, and her story is nothing short of amazing. So to get on with it, let's uh, let's interview Justine and have a our 100th episode podcast. Justin Whitchurch, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I am great, thank you. Really no, good. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. No, no problem at all. Thank you very much for uh, coming on and, and giving up your time. I do really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm certain that there's going to be some value in this for a lot of the listeners. <laughs> um, obviously, I've done a little bit of research and read your story, so to speak, in terms of um, where you were and where you are now. So, yeah, there's definitely some value in it for sure um, from a number of perspectives too. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but why don't you uh, firstly introduce yourself and, and tell us uh, who you are and what you do now, just so people have some sort of perspective and context. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Justine Whitchurch, um, I am a, I call myself a sobriety speaker because <laughs> cool. I bang on a lot about being sober and, and the trials and tribulations of that. And I'm a fitness trainer as well. Okay. So um, yeah, my business kind of combines the two of those things. I'm Very a 49-year-old mum of two. Do you want yep. full bio? I could have left the 49-year-old bit out. But 49 years young. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm on the Gold Coast. Okay. Unreal. Unreal. All right. Well, let's get into the nitty-gritty of it. So take us back. Take us back mm-hmm. uh, before the, 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 the fitness evolution of you and uh, who you used to be because obviously the, this podcast is about your alcoholism which you openly talk about full yeah. transparency which I really appreciate so if you want to take us back to those days how it all started in terms of I guess um, I don't know was it in the youth was it we were just talking all fair about you being in uh, in the music industry yeah. did that sort of introduce you to it more or was there other avenues that uh, that popped up sure um, so look I think in terms of my, my alcohol consumption and how it, 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 it affected me or how much I was drinking or what stage it was, it was different at different points in time. But if I go back to uh, my early days, as a, maybe as a teen when everybody was first introduced to alcohol, I probably didn't drink that differently to anybody else. Okay. It was, um, it was, it was you know, at a party, that kind of thing. I was in the music industry for a long time. Um, I was a singer in a, in the very commercial 
pop music here in Australia and I drank through that but I didn't necessarily, um, it wasn't probably the very beginning of me having an issue with alcohol, albeit I did at times um, medicate my way a little bit through my anxiety with that. So, you know, auditions and and different things that I might have been doing every now and then there was the odd shot of vodka that would um, take the edge off take the edge off and inevitably make me forget my words on stage. (laughs) So it it was far from ideal. Um, But I think the very first time that now that I actually have got out the other side and I've done a lot of work and a lot of therapy, I know that I learned to medicate with alcohol pretty early on. So there was one particular incident that I remember I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but I had broken up with a boyfriend. I was 19. I was house sitting a family member's house and we were on and off and on and off. And he'd, we'd had a phone call and he'd said, look, it's definitely off. And I was already in bed and I remember going to the fridge and grabbing two bottles of beer of all things. Mm. I just needed something and went back to bed and drank them till I was calm enough to sleep. And although I just did that, without even thinking at the time later, you know, when I've gone through all my counseling, we've had to kind of pinpoint or through our therapy pinpointed when I first actually use alcohol to medicate. And that was it. I now know that that was, that was potentially it. But fast forward, I had many years where alcohol wasn't really an issue and it probably would have been in my early thirties where I was going through quite a um, traumatic marriage breakdown divorce you know custody of kids and things like that Mm -hmm. and I always knew that I could medicate with alcohol so I was doing that exorbitantly wow okay and that um took me into some dangerous territory and a a couple of years after that it was probably it would have been my late 30s is when I really started to hammer it so I, I had just become extremely dependent on alcohol to to just cope with everyday life or my, my natural coping mechanisms had just gone. They weren't there. And, you know, there was still life's challenges, right? <laughs> they don't go away. One, one, something traumatic happens and it might ease off, but then there's, you know, other things that come along. My daughter was diagnosed with type one diabetes at the time wow. when she was seven. Um, yeah. It just, it just got worse and worse. And, my consumption became greater and greater. And mm-hmm. we go to the to the real tail end of it in the last, uh, you know, six to 12 months, particularly the last six months of 2011. So I was 38 at the time. Okay. Uh, I was pretty much drinking 24-7. So it was a constant, wow. it was a constant top up. Um, and physically... At the very end, before I did go into rehab and probably talk about that, yep. I was about 47 kilos. My liver was showing signs of cirrhosis. Wow. My platelets were non-existent. Um, yeah, and I had one, well, I had a couple of emergency hospital visits and in the, the last one they said, you've got, you literally, if you don't stop, you've got months. My body was, everything was just shutting down. Wow. So it wow. was when I say near death, I wasn't actually exaggerating. No, no, absolutely. People, people bandy these terms around, but it actually was. It actually was. So it was, yeah, it was a um, a twenty four seven kind of 
event. <laughs> so was it like, would you reach for a drink as soon as you woke up in the morning? Was it that extreme? It had, it was in the end. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, wow. that, that or medication. So depending on what I had to do, um, if, if I couldn't get to alcohol or I, I, I it wasn't, um, it wasn't appropriate. I didn't really care about being appropriate in the end, but yep. I could potentially take my value more Xanax that the doctors were giving me at the time to get me through a period because Yes, when I woke up, I was having detoxing every day. Of so course, there was yeah. withdrawals. My body, I yep. physically needed the alcohol. Wow, wow. So when, when you said about the, the that final uh, visit to the hospital and they said, look, you need to stop because of these reasons, mm. was that a an alarm bell, light bulb moment, or did it take more than that to, mm, to get no. you into rehab? No, it didn't stop you? No, it was – look, that was uh, – there, there was uh, – a lot of people talk about their their one rock bottom. I think I had met I had many, and there was lots of little epiphanies. And I didn't even see them as epiphanies. I think personally, they actually just sat in my subconscious somehow. Something was happening, you know, something the universe or God, whatever you want to call it, alerted me and mm-hmm. said, you, "You need to actually think about this." Um, in hospital, in one of those visits, the only thing that I I have two children who are yep. now almost adults, 20 and 17. And at the time they were almost 10 and seven. Um, thankfully, very much. I had a great support network. I, I don't downplay that at all. So I'm one of the, the fortunate ones. Yes. Um, and they were, they were cared for. But the only thing that I cared about during that time, and the only thing I cared about was them. Okay. Uh, so every sober moment, everything that I was, you know, trying so hard to do in terms of, you know, staying alive, um, and I wasn't consciously trying to kill myself, by the way. It yes. was just, it's just where it was going, uh, was for the kids. So I remember in that hospital visit, I had a visit from the counsellors who were, I think, you know, they have to report things and to child safety and all sorts of things. They of didn't, course. but they had a conversation with me and it was the first time I had been asked. So who is looking after your children? How are the children being cared for? Right. And that really I really hit a chord because uh, um, I, I, I thought, oh, my God, they've asked that question. Now, I know they are being cared for, so nothing's going to happen. But at the time, that was enough to, to sit there and um, really, I guess, sit in the back of my mind as things need to change. But there was one more one more incident that I do talk about, and I, I talk about this openly in my book, and that mm-hmm. was my parents, my, my dad had taken the kids to school, brought them home to me, and uh, I had been drinking that day. I hadn't supposed, I was not supposed to be, I'd actually just entered rehab. And he looked at me and he said, I can't leave the kids here with you tonight. Yeah, wow. And my daughter looked at me and the kids just thought I was sick all the time. They had sure. they really didn't have any idea. Yep. And my daughter had tears in her eyes and she said, Mum, I'm scared you're never going to get better. And I don't know, I, I totally think that that definitely hit something at a soul level. Yep. And then it was pretty much my hand was forced by my family to then make the next steps to to get myself out of where I was. Wow, wow. Um, well, that was going to be my next question. What led you to rehab? So it was that. Obviously, the, the moment your daughter mentioned that plus 
um, the encouragement or insistence from your family to to get you there. And you mentioned you, you'd already been in rehab once, so there was a, a failed attempt, was it? No, I hadn't been in rehab. Um, I was in Melbourne for a long time. My, I'm back on the Gold Coast now, and all my fam- my immediate family were in on the Gold Coast in Melbourne. My GP had put me in hospital on rest, so it wasn't okay. rehab. Right. Um, but when I came up here and, and those incidents ha- occurred and, and my family ha- only had, look, they had an inkling of how bad things were, but I, I floored them when I came up. They really didn't know how bad it was. Wow. So they were taking me to hospital visits, psychologists, psychiatrists, and it was at the insistence of those specialists that they said you need to enter you definitely, she needs to go to rehab of some kind. Um, and it was suggested I went into a full residential program and I kicked my, I really dug my heels in and um, I didn't want to leave the kids. I didn't, I, they were the only, as I said, they were the only thing that I cared about. So yep. for me being away from them, that would have been the last straw for me. So we all, we agreed that I would go into a day program down there. I'd be oh, driven okay. down, driven home, so I could not go. Yes. And I had to do it. So I did go into a day patient program and I did it twice. Right. So residential yeah. meant you stayed there. Yeah, on, I did yeah. not I yeah, I didn't stay. So okay. I was fortunate enough at that time I'd move back to the Gold Coast and my family I was I was staying with my family. They were not letting me do go anywhere. So wow. I was under under lock and key, so to speak, and then they were looking after the kids and yeah, so I had this um, this day program that I went down to three days a week at Crom and Site Clinic, actually down here on the Gold Coast. Okay, okay. So, um, how long was that for? And, and talk us through that process. Like, obviously, you see a lot about this stuff on TV and in TV shows and stuff, but I've never spoken to anyone who's actually done it. What's the process involved, and and how difficult was it? Yeah. So, um, well, I suppose you just minus the staying there overnight part. Yep. Um, my days. So for, to begin with, you have to, with my level of dependency, I had a physical addiction that couldn't not be medicated out. So okay. I had what's called a medical um, detox out externally at home, which was just uh, doses of Valium that were uh, prescribed for me with my GP and my psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So I did that in conjunction with the day program. Um so the day program, I went down there, I'd go down there, I think it started at nine o'clock and it was group therapy. So okay. licorice, all sorts, um, people from all walks of life, different demographics, or really, I, I still am so thankful that I went into that, into those rooms because it, it, um, it gave me a real, um, I'm an empath as it is, but an understanding that, you know, uh, alcoholism or drug addiction doesn't discriminate. We were all from all different walks of life. Some of us had, you know, um, you know, genetic links with alcoholic parents. Some didn't. Some had beautiful lives that seemingly had nothing go wrong. Others had extreme adversity, Um, but we're all addicts. And we learnt a lot about what goes on with mental health before you're medicating and that mm-hmm. type of thing. A lot of mindfulness, which was great. Um, my my profession actually before then was I was a workplace trainer and assessor. So okay. I knew a lot about NLP and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So I kind of got this stuff and I'm like, okay. But yeah, yeah, it was group therapy, working through lots of different things and getting to the bottom of 
the root of of maybe some of the reasons why we were drinking and and how to maintain and establish better mental health, which is really a lot of the time where it comes from. Of course. So I did that for uh, I think the program was for eight weeks, and I ended up doing it twice. Right. So, um, or almost, I nearly finished the second one. Yeah. So a, a long period of time, you know, in and out, and you know, to begin with because it was so critical that I went and I was not a willing participant and my family drove me down right. and me up so that I couldn't not go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I ask what, so if you, at that stage, if you didn't have a drink for a period of time, what would happen? Would you would you be violently ill? Would you cramp up? What, what would, how would your body respond without the alcohol for, you know, a couple of hours or whatever? Yeah. Um, at that particular time before I was, without medication without volume yep. i would get um e- extreme heart palpitations sweating anxiety like i'm literally on fi- like on fire like my body was felt like it was on fire wow um and yeah it's extremely dangerous to do that unmedicated mm-hmm. people have heart attacks all the time so you know i think that's actually how amy winehouse died it wasn't so much from you know the actual alcohol at the time it was the yep. stopping um, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I, I'm pretty no, sure. No, no, I believe that's you. Yeah. Why we need medical detoxes? Um, because our we're so physically reliant on it, the body just doesn't know how to how to cope. So heart attack is a massive um risk. Yeah. Uh, fishing, fishing. People can have loads of seizures. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so you know, for me, it was just over. I felt like my skin was crawling anxiety like there's no tomorrow. it's like something had somebody take this away kind of feeling right so the only way you saw to um i guess suppress those feelings and emotions was to continue to drink so it was yep. just a vicious circle it was it 100 yeah. so you know it, it it quickly transitions what people don't understand about alcohol is what starts quite innocently for some people when they start to ramp up their con- their consumption mm. If if it's if it's regular enough, it it's not just a psychological addiction; it's a physical addiction, yeah. and it's um it's a dependency. Yeah. So it's imperative that if you you know if you're getting to that point, if, look, you can have a big drinking day and and not be an alcoholic or an addict, and you know where you, how you feel the next day, right? Yes, that and and your anxiety is heightened and all that type of thing. Well, times that by twenty, and that's essentially what you feel like. Oh God! I had to it's think not that. Fun. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Oh dear! Yeah. Wow. Well, um, now this is what this is the, the interesting stuff. Now, um, I read that you were then recommended exercise as one of your uh, rehab protocols, if you will. So, talk me mm. through that. Had you already done any, you know, some form of training or exercise or whatever before this? And what was the specifics of that once you uh, got recommended it? Yeah. So. Prior to that, I was a token gym member. I went to the gym. <laughs> I, I, like that. I was, yeah, I went to the gym when I needed to drop a dress size to go to to a function. Okay. Um, it was it was never sought after for anything other than than that kind of thing. More than sure. more aesthetic. Um, I'd never been a. I was in the music industry, so I wasn't a sporty kid. You know, I was the opposite of that. I did a lot of dancing and things like that, but that was never. A, a regular part of my routine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so one of my psychologists, my, my main psychologist at the time, who was very athletic himself, he had said to me, almost as a by the way, which is interesting, but mm. he had said to me, 
you definitely need to start exercising. You definitely need to start exercising. And I, I've been, as I said, I've been dragged up to the Gold Coast. All of my family members, including my mum and my 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 stepdad and um, brother and everything, were all members of a fitness first, like around the corner. Okay. And at that point in my recovery, I was just ticking boxes that everyone wanted me to tick. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I, right. I was not, as I said, the and not you know not a willing participant in all of this. So the fit, the the gym seemed like the perfect thing when he mentioned it because I everyone could keep an eye on me yep. because they're all going to be there. And I you know I had a lot of social anxiety then because I hadn't really been back out into the world as a sober person or or trying to you know it was everything was my nervous system was totally raw. Mm. So I, I joined the gym and. I actually didn't even go into the main gym to begin with. There was a there was a ladies' room upstairs. Okay. So I went into the ladies' room, pretended I knew what I was doing, and fumbled around. I, to begin with, I, I remember really early on, I actually felt safe in there. Okay. So yep. I felt safe from my own head. It was a it was regardless of whether I was exercising or not, it, it was a distraction, a, a place to be that was, there was no temptation. Sure. And it was, it was definitely a distraction. And then I started training a little bit more and, and really enjoying it. And I, I would say, oh, so it was about the July, maybe two, maybe, or not even quite two months in, there was a personal trainer in the gym and, you know, they were getting their quota of clients. And he actually approached my husband at the time and said, you know, do you want any PT sessions? And my husband quickly said, no, not me, but my wife probably does. Okay. And, uh, I gave him an absolute mouthful. <laughs> I'm like, why are you doing this? This is giving me extra anxiety. I don't need a personal. Why now I've got to talk to this person? Uh. And I did. And um, he had had quite an interesting past himself. Okay. And he had been a boxer. He had like four kids under the age of six, like just tons of adversity and mm. on and off the, the wrong right track kind of stuff, right? And I clicked with him. So I started doing personal training with him in the gym and, and then, you know, he left the gym and I'm like, Great, uh, what am I going to do? Right. Well, he started up his own studio at home, well, after his own CrossFit box kind of thing. So sure. I, I followed him. Okay. Mm. And I really quickly um, started, I think I was training sometimes four days a week with him. Any bit of money that I had, I was just throwing into that. Yeah, wow. Because I was all of a sudden starting to feel things that I'd, I'd not felt in years and sometimes not even remember that whether I'd ever felt. Okay. Psychologically and physically. Right. So his, um, his, I guess, method was very much CrossFit kind of style mm. training at the time. Yep. Which, as you know, it's that's you know, get yourself in, hammer yourself, um, push yourself to your, to the limits. It's yep. kind of what I do now. Um, and yeah, I I I got stronger and stronger physically, and every with everything that I was doing physically, I noticed how that correlated psychologically. I was becoming mm. stronger and stronger, and all of a sudden, my mental health was getting better. Um, I was feeling more positive and happy without any medication mm. and yeah that was the start of me realizing that this not only from the physiological perspective but from a discipline 
perspective um, and routine and regiment that this lifestyle was had the ability to keep me on track. Right. Wow. Big light bulb moment. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I read a quote that you said, um, being physically fit and strong in turn gives you the ability to face life's challenges from such a much healthier perspective. Yep. I, I love that. I thought that was brilliant. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Because obviously that's come from you. Yeah. And did you, um, I guess, from the early stages of, as you've identified with your training, you know, identified that this can be my new existence? Mm. Yeah, I look it. Um, what I found and what I got from training and 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 exercising in general was I I got my power back. So when I when I started being able to you know lift a weight above you know two kilos or <laughs> or run down the street without falling over three times or. Sure. Um, you know, those incremental things that I got as I gained strength and endurance with my training, mm. it was it was just this shift in the power in my mind to be able to negate things or to be able to, you know, see them from a, a slightly lighter perspective or just manage them. It was it was, you know, I, I talk I talk about sober clarity, but you know, that came with that came from not drinking for a certain period of time, but yep. but the exercise gave me power of the mind. So I could talk myself, you know, I did pro- probably six months after it was six, about six, six or seven months after I started training, mm. I put myself into an entire start triathlon. Wow. And I had no bloody idea what I was doing. Yeah. I did. I mean, I trained for it, but the anxiety before that was so rife. And I managed to, every time I did something that I proved my head wrong right. th- through the physical fitness, yep. I started to be able to do that with everyday life things. So if, I, if you know, if, if, if I um, didn't think I could uh, you know, compete the workout or, or whatever have you, and then I did, I was like, see, you, you're constantly challenging your head because it it's a head game, right? Of course it is. Yeah, what absolutely. Is, what is psychology? Yep. And so I was then going into my everyday life and it's like, oh, my God, um, you know, am I going to get the job or, you know, are the kids going to do this or is my ex-husband going to do this? And then all of a sudden that same kind of um, way of thinking or power in my thinking would mm. challenge my head again and say, hang on, you've got no evidence that this is going to happen. You can do this. So yep. they were just the correlation between my physical health and my mental health and those two powers it was so intertwined and the str- the more strength I got physically, the more power I had mentally. I like that. I like how you use the word power. I think that's really what's powerful, yeah. isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. you've, you've created your own power through something so simple as exercise. Yeah, and- because alcohol took my power away. Absolutely, of course. So, um, And I, I had very little and I, I really didn't have the ability to just talk myself through things. I needed something else to shift mm. You know, I didn't know what that was going to be and inevitably that ended up being exercise and training and still is to this day. And I was going to ask you about that because just before we got on here, we spoke that you've competed several times as well. Mm. So, you know, because that's obviously at the the top end of exercise in terms of, 
you know, an end game. Um, but you've gone down that path as well as a, as a, a goal, which is pretty remarkable considering where you were in life, you know, 20 odd years ago. Yeah, I, th- I think I learned. So, you know, the first time that I competed, I was maybe, uh, so after I came out of rehab, I probably need to, for the next 18 months, I, I tried to be a social drinker. I, okay. I really didn't come out of rehab thinking this is it for me. I thought right, if, I get, okay. if, I get a, if I get a handle of it, yep. then um, I can be like everybody else. Um, I came out and I didn't medicate anymore with alcohol, which was great. But mm. And I set myself some pretty strong boundaries as to when I drink and what I do. And, you know, it, it was, you know, the last year I drank, it was on three occasions that, that year. And I said to myself, okay, well, on this date, you're going to this function, you can drink. I just could never have one and it always ended up messy. I, I messy and and the next day I would feel horrific and I couldn't train. Of I, and, and all yeah. of a sudden what I had these things that I had um benefited from from not drinking, these you know, wonderful parts of my life like the the training and the good nutrition and all those things that made me happy, I couldn't do them the next day because I'd been drinking. Mm-hmm. So through one thing or another, I, I, I ended up after one particular incident, I, I stopped, I said to myself, I, I just can't do this anymore. It doesn't work. I know I, I can't be a social drinker. Most people can't who've had my level of addiction it just doesn't happen. We like, to sure. can. Yep. and I stopped altogether. So then I set myself these new challenges and, you know, age came into it as well. And I'm like, okay, right. Well, you've done all of these things. You got to this point. Let's see what you can do. And I remember my husband at the time, he said to me, don't put too much pressure on yourself. And I'm like, that's just fired me up even more. Because I think he said something along the lines of, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You know you're not 21 anymore or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? That's probably the worst thing that you could say. Don't poke the bear. Like, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I did um, – yeah, I did bikini. I just I wasn't fitness. I did I did bikini in yep. um, a couple of different federations between 2014 and and 17, mm-hmm. and um, I was already living the lifestyle. So yep. for me, it kind of made sense. I I go to a, a world gym. Yep. <laughs> so it was it was one of those things that oh, why not? I want to you know I want to see what I can do aesthetically with my body as well. Of course. And. Yeah. Um, I loved the discipline, so I gave it a crack and had had a couple of goes. It was I was never like it was never serious as what I want to do with my career. It was more setting goals for myself and, and absolutely, absolutely, and achievement. Uh, yeah, of course, oh, of course. Can I ask? You just mentioned obviously um, your husband, and obviously we've referenced your kids a couple of times mm. after the second rehab. Were people were your family members on eggshells somewhat around you in regards to their behaviours in drinking or you know inviting you over to dinner or out to dinner and things like that? Was there a little bit of that in in the the atmosphere or did they was it normal? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I think nobody was on eggshells. Everybody was super aware that mm. I needed. I had zero pressure from people to drink again, okay. unlike a lot of people who do. Yep. I, 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 I was in such a, a bad state that anyone that knew me in that state knew that it's not a case of, oh, would you like a drink? You know, are yes. you sure you can't have one? It was they, they knew I couldn't drink. I didn't yep. know I couldn't drink. 
So my husband at the time made a decision himself. I think I, I'm, I probably mentioned something, but when I came out of rehab, and he was, a, he, I'll openly say, he does not mind me talking about it. He was a big drinker as well. So okay. not with the dependency that I had, but he was mm-hmm. a big drinker and, and pushed it really hard. So we enabled each other a little bit there. Sure. And he says to people that my almost losing my life to alcoholism was the best thing that could have happened to him. Because wow, he okay. made a 360. He trains more than I do now. Big he statement, is, yeah. yeah. He So he made a decision that, or we made a decision that there would be no drinking in the home unless there was an event here. Okay. So, and that's continued. We are now 10 years after rehab and that does not occur. So he would never come home from work and have a drink. Yep. Um, if we, you know, he ju- he does drink occasionally now, but he trains, you know, six or seven days a week himself and right. looks amazing for his age. Um, you know, know. He's super healthy and fit, probably more committed than I am. Um, but he's... Um, he would drink on the odd occasion. And the rest of the family just, you know, they were aware. I, I didn't put myself in positions early on, though, that, that that I felt were going to tempt me or make me feel super uncomfortable. So I think you've got to be slightly responsible for that yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but things like the gym, you know, when when I first got well, um, I call it well because that's what it was. My parents, my um, my husband travelled a lot for work and they knew what the gym was doing for me. They knew. Oh, okay. I call it my church, right? Yep, yep. And and I had small kids at the time and he was away and they're like, can we have the kids? Do you need to go to the gym? We'll have the kids. Go to the gym. So I had these this, you know, incredible Great support, support network. Yeah. That just, they, they could see. I was overtraining to begin with. You know, I sure. was. It was sometimes I come in there twice a day. But way better alternative, right? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, it was a distraction. It was it was everything. It's it still honestly is a very safe place for me. Okay, yep. So how often do you train now? Just uh, off the top? Uh, I'm I'm back to probably four to five sessions a week. Okay, and do you ever find it challenging to go? Like this is obviously a question I get a lot about motivation and things like that. Do you find it hard to get up some days and go or is it just part of the week? It just happens. Oh, yeah, of course. Yep, absolutely. Some days, you know, I, I run a uh, – I've got a business. I've got two kids. I do a million yep. and one things. So I'm, t- I'm time poor. My days, there's not enough hours in the day. Yep. So I get that same lag like every other person. And, and you know, the mums, I say to them, I totally get it. Mm. But – I know the alternative and I don't yeah. feel great when I don't go. So there's no okay. evidence. Whenever yeah. I'm challenged by those sorts of things or I'm lacking some kind of, you know, motivational steam, so to speak, mm-hmm. yep. I go, the evidence is if you don't, you're going to feel like shit and you know this is what's keeping you. When you, when you I say that even to my clients, when you least want to go is when you most need to go. Absolutely. But that, that's a good point. Like, And when you do go on those days that you don't feel like going, generally after 10 minutes, you're so grateful oh, for have gone. You feel amazing. You go, yeah, how good is this? Yeah. yeah. And you can always, you know, if, you, if you're feeling exhausted and you're tired, any workout's better than no workout. Go through the bloody motions. It's just, it's, yep. it, it is what it is. That's right. That's right. So in terms of um, advice, so obviously I'm assuming – through some of the depths of alcoholism, you were in denial that you had a problem. Mm. Um, would I be correct in saying that? So, you know, there, there are probably people out there that would listen to this and, and deny that they do have a problem. What's your advice in regards to um, those that may need help or maybe seeking help 
Um, you know, what's the steps? Who do they speak to? Um, you know, how does that sort of unfold? Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I was asked this question the other day. If you are questioning your relationship with alcohol or you think you might have a problem, you probably pretty much probably do. There's the first because, tell, yeah. Because it's, it's unconscious before it becomes conscious. Okay. So you, if, you, if you're questioning it, you probably do. It, you know, it just, I guess it depends to what extent. Yep. So the first port of call for somebody that has, I think, an issue with alcohol, I, I still think that the traditional method, go to your GP, mm-hmm. at least talk to them. Sometimes they're not great because they're smashing five wines a night themselves and they're like, <laughs> oh, they're, they're like, oh, no, oh, maybe that's not too bad. It's like if this person's coming to you because they think they've got an issue with alcohol, can you please support that? Don't, yes. don't question their question, you know. Yep. Um, and if you, if, if you require some medication, which you might do, you know, there are other medications out there too that can help with cravings and, and all sorts of things that are a little bit different. Mm. Go to your GP first of all. And then I think, you know, who will potentially refer you on to counsellors and all that sort of thing. But find then people who are already in a position or doing what you want to be doing. Okay. So that that relatability for me, mm-hmm. social media became it started to quite to ramp up pretty much not long after I got sober, and I found sober communities and people that were already where I wanted to be. And you know, I've mentioned a number of times I had an incredible support network. Yep. A lot of people don't. So if you don't have that support network you know, in your kind of internal environment, you need to look for it externally because you cannot do this shit on your own. Yeah, absolutely. You, you 100% can't. Um, and then tell, you know, if you, if you feel you can, and it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow, but tell people around you why you're not drinking because that's the next thing is if, you, if you've kept it to yourself and you've keep, kept this quite um, hidden, People yeah. are going to question why all of a sudden you're not drinking, and then you get that peer pressure. Yes, uh, which is rife. That's a whole another conversation. Yeah. Um. But yeah, tell people your truth, and I, I honestly think that it's about being open and honest because you've got to get it out there, and getting it out there also then creates some accountability for you. Absolutely, it's a good but point you raised. Start exercising for God's yes. sake. Yes, well, start of exercising. Just yeah. move the. You, you, when you first decide not to drink, you need something else to do. Need that outlet, so, yeah. Ah, it's a distraction. And then, you know, the it, exercising also um, helps with cravings. Yep. So it decreases your cravings. Um, if you've been really hitting the hitting it hard, all of your, your serotonin and all of those things have just been, they're depleted. There, there is none. Yeah. We all know what exercise does for mental health and all of those feel-good hormones. It starts generating them again. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I, I used to get through an ugly divorce myself and it was the best. It was like free therapy, well, not free therapy, but it was great therapy nonetheless. All that negative frustration and energy you can, you know, redirect into a good training yeah. session. Yeah, yeah it and brilliant. it should be it should be mandatory in a GP's oh, tick boxes totally before totally antidepressants agree. are handed out willy nilly. I totally um, agree with that. It should yeah. be recommended to everybody. Exercise. It should be on a prescription. <laughs> yeah, every yeah, that's exactly right. Everyone should be doing it more often, and it's, it's it really baffles me how some people still 
uh, find it challenging or hard or, or, or stick to it for three days and then give up, you know, because it is hard, whereas the health benefits are so superior to, you know, yeah. the... the, well, the we all want things now, don't we? we want it oh, that, and that's the problem. Today. That's exactly that's it, it. You know, that's exactly the problem. Yeah. Um, in terms of you just mentioned, and, and, and this might be a little bit of a segue, but you mentioned obviously the you know the social pressures of, of drinking, mm. and it is such a social convention. You know, I guess it's part of our culture, isn't it? As Australians, we tend to have a drink around the football or the races or the weekend or a barbecue or you know at the beach or whatever. So obviously that that. Pressure is always going to be there and, and, you know, you go to a pub or a tavern or a restaurant or something, the, one of the first questions you get asked is, do you want to have a drink? What would you like to drink? Um, you know, the, even the waiter comes up to you and says, okay, can I get you a drink? So that, that, that ongoing pressure is certainly always there, isn't it? Yeah. We drink to celebrate. We drink to commiserate. And yeah. Everything, and everything in between. So, you know, culturally um, we are – really set up for disaster in that respect (laughs) it's a good way no it is and it makes it that for those reasons alone there are i will say millions because there are of people that can't even contemplate not drinking because Mm. they are of the mindset how on earth will i ever function in society yeah what but but there's a wedding coming up how could I possibly not, not drink? And these are people who don't have um, dependency issues. Yeah. So we are culturally, you know, very inept with that kind of stuff. Big and um, it's not, you know, we, we talk about it being, it's very much, I think, probably highlighted with men and, um, you know, the beers and the bonding and the boys at the pub. But, yep. oh, my gosh, mummy wine culture is <laughs> is. is I think it's I think it's even worse because it's sneaky mm. and it's it's subliminal and it's um yeah it's 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 I call it the epidemic that'll outlive the pandemic because wow. it's, it, women there women there is women who are enabling and um each other to literally just cope with everyday life challenges yep. with alcohol and they're bringing the kids into it so yeah. It's you know that that's it scares me. I I I can't stand all the memes. I think it's not humorous. It's really not bloody funny. Mm. Um, you know they're, they're outwardly saying that you know I'm drinking because of my kids. Um, what's that telling your kids? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There might be two or three now, but in time they're going to. That's going to be. Are you teaching your children that the way you cope with life is? Or, 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 can't, or cope with situations that you that are not um, easy mm. is drink. And yep. B, you're also, I think, telling your children that you're drinking because they stress you out. The yeah. only reason you're really drinking is because you can't handle your stress. You can't handle the situation. That's yeah, and, right. And I, I get the stress. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I, I have full empathy for that because I have been one. I am, you know, still am one of those mums. It might have been older, but they get to look after me now. But um, <laughs> The, the 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 tables have turned, but it's um, it's it's just horrific, and it's you know, it's so prevalent. It's not funny. Mm, it is, yeah. It's unfortunate. You're right. Um, well, let's streamline into your business because obviously this is this has evolved because of your experience. So you've got a book. You do yeah. your coaching. Let's talk about that and and yeah. what you offer. And and you know, there might be someone that's listening that could reach out to you. 
Yeah. So I have my book, which is um, Sobriety Delivered Everything Alcohol Promised, which pretty much is, <laughs> the name says exactly what it, sure does. What it is. And that's, it is my, uh, it's a, there's a backstory on me in there, but it's my journey from um, near-death alcoholic to where I am now. And, mm-hmm. and the steps that I took, so which are through fitness yep. and, and the other, you know, um, the myriad of therapies that I got along the way. Um, I am still a fitness coach, so I offer fitness coaching and, you know, I tend to attract a client that potentially has issues with alcohol or mental health as well. Okay. So I, you know, in my programs, I offer, um, you know, things like, you know, email series, or, all my tips on, um, you know, integrating back into society, alcohol free and, and how to, to get hold of your, ma- you know, to maintain the sobriety. I'm not a drug and alcohol counsellor. I'm a lived expert. So they're literally just my own personal tips on, on how I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I offer that. I've just started getting into public speaking as well about this because I, I, speak, I speak a lot about it. So I'm like, oh, I might as well. Yeah, absolutely. For, for a living as well. Um, yeah. So it's, it's uh, to be to be fair, my business is changing dramatically. And okay. I uh, twelve months ago, the the larger percentage of my clients were women. Right. At the moment, it's looking like it's about it's tipped the scales. It's it's I've got you know things like my socials are a little bit different. My socials are way more ma- ma- male heavy than they are female. Wow. So um, they're struggling in both ways. You know what I'm going to say with men, um, they engage very differently with me in regards to what's going on for them personally. Women are very upfront. We talk a lot. We're a lot okay. more, um, they will engage quite publicly on social media or be quick to tell you their story. The men do it privately. They'll message me and they'll ease themselves in and they'll, it might be, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I love what you're doing. I can relate. Then I have to go for the, I have to ask the next question. Yep. And, and it, it comes out, but men need a soft landing. And ah, I think okay. I, I, I found that I found that men tend to, um, and from what they've told me, men t- tend to be able to talk about these things a little bit more openly with a female than a male. Sometimes there's okay. a little bit less judgment. Maybe, yep. maybe it's mm. interesting because men, men, uh, you know, I can only speak from experience, but men do tend not to comfortably share a lot of mm. personal information at the best of times, really. Yep. So when you're talking about a, a you know, a, a, um, a problem like alcoholism or something similar. You probably don't want to share it because it's it's not manly to do so. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting. Wow. Oh, that's good. Like you know, if, if you're accepting of, of both male and female, I think that's fantastic. Whoever you can help, help. Yeah. This is this is it. At the end of the day, it you know, my, I'm, I feel it's my obligation to help anybody that's got an issue with alcohol. You know, show them the path that I took. Like yep. you know, and 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 give them a little bit um, easier access. To, the, to, to, to finding their own way out. Absolutely, finding their true path. I think that's mm. fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay, well, we, let, we'll start to wrap it up, Justine. Yeah, that, sure. That's been brilliant. Um, I'll finish on uh, the personality question, which I ask every guest, and that is who you'd have <laughs> over to dinner. So this is obviously based around your own personal um, likes, dislikes, et cetera. So it could be male, female, alive, dead, fictional, non-fictional, could be a couple, um, who you'd like to sit down with and have a meal with and a good conversation. Yeah, okay. test a lot of people. I've had some really wild answers. <laughs> um, gosh, that's a really good question. 
and I keep, I, I keep going, I, I, why am I going to dead people all the time? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, it's interesting. Somebody that I have always, uh, you know, I, I was in, clearly in, in the music industry for a really long time. Yes. And somebody that I just have always adored through writing and um, their, how they express themselves was George Michael. He's not here anymore. No, he's not. Really. No. Um, but I would, if he was still alive, I would have him here. He would have me mesmerized. Brilliant um, artist. Yeah, brilliant artist. So deep. Yep. Um, if you've read a lot about him, there was, you know, he's a tortured, tortured man. And mm. um, yeah, I'd love to just sit down and have a soda water and lunch <laughs> <laughs> with him. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the first person that probably came to mind. Okay. Good answer. I haven't had George Michael before, so that's really good. Yeah, I like yeah, that. No. Yeah. No, that's excellent. Oh, well, thank you so much. Now, if someone did want to reach out to you, how do they find you? You're on Instagram, Facebook. Yep. Uh, you've got a website. Uh, do you want to just quickly rattle yep. those off? Sure. So my Instagram is just Whitchurch with two S's. Okay. Um, and website, justinewitchurch.com.au. Yep. Uh, and Facebook, the same. Okay. I'll put them yep. all in the show notes yeah, as perfect. well. Yeah, cool. that'd be great. That, oh, it's been a pleasure, Justine. Thank you so much for awesome. uh, for sharing your story. Yeah, it's been um, great. There's so much value in that, and I'm, I'm sure everyone that listens will uh, will agree. So thank you once yeah. again. I really appreciate it. Very cool. Thank you so much, Paul. No problem. Okay. Well, what a great podcast that was and a great chat with Justine. Fantastic story and truly inspirational. It just goes to show the benefits of exercise are extraordinary and can really change someone's life for the better. Um, so if you're out there and you need assistance or you need uh, some guidance around alcoholism or uh, drug dependency, Justine might be the person to reach out to. Uh, so certainly jump on her website and have a look or follow her on Instagram for more inspiration. Now, if you're interested in any of my coaching services, please jump on my website, paulsbodyengineering.com. Um, and please do share this story across your stories uh, tagging myself and obviously tag Justine as well. And as I say to every client every single day on the 100th episode, have an amazing day.